know the Christmas nest? It's a bit different this year. Only one blanket. <laughs> I'm Michael LaFaver. I'm Ryan Matlock. We're two seasonal fans of Beyond Gilead. And a special guest here to review S-10, O Little Town of Coleraine by Lori Twitchell. So join us for episode 84 on our return to Gilead. Ah, man, I don't know how many starts we're going to have on trying to figure out when Beyond Gilead actually starts here, but hey, Austin Peach is with us. Hey, Austin, welcome back. It's great to be back. It's been a long time. Wait, who let him in? There's finally a holiday special I can be on. (laughs) Yeah, there haven't been any special episodes regardless of holiday or otherwise for the past two seasons, so it's good to have you back, man. Yeah, thanks. Anyway, we're going to talk again about Down Gilead Lane versus Beyond Gilead. If you want a more full explanation, go listen to our bonus review of A Morrison by Any Other Name. But what happened was after season six, and as Simon Guevara told us, Beth Culp left the show, Simon Guevara left the show, Terry Ritchie took over and continued the story of Gilead into what was then called Down Gilead Lane. And I think even the current version of this episode refers to this as Down Gilead Lane. Is that right, Ryan? I didn't pay attention. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, well, I only have the download lane version, like the CD special. I don't have mm, like the current digital download of those specials, so okay. I'm not sure what it is now. Yeah, I have both the CD and the special version. The special version was the version I heard first, so I think it's still Down Gilead Lane. This is included okay, on yeah. the Hope That Heals CD set, which is the second special set. It includes four episodes, this being one of them. And Okay, I'm sorry. I actually do have the digital downloads of this one because I got like the 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 bundle of them. So this so the one I have does have the extra scenes in it. Mm. But that one's still the DGL version. Extra scenes? There are extra scenes in it? Yeah. In this episode? You didn't know that? Time for yeah. a version difference. What? Hang on, hang on. Oh. Austin. I did not write these down. Don't look at me, Michael. I expected <laughs> you to know this. No, I looked at the <laughs> run times on these and if I want to open up iTunes and actually figure out what the actual run times are, I can look at this now. Let's see. The Hope That Heals CD is 2934 on CD. On the full digital download of this thing, special episodes, 2932. Okay, yeah, 2925. 2925. Yeah, your version is shorter than mine. Okay, <laughs> that's weird. Barring any other version differences that you wanted to bring up, we'll talk a little bit about the transition from Down Gilead Lane to Beyond Gilead here, even though we have already discussed this. I don't think we've got your opinion on it yet, Austin. But what happened was these episodes after Blessed Are They, everything after Blessed Are They, was released originally under Down Gilead Lane. And then Greg Yoder, the current executive director of Keys for Kids, renamed all of them to Beyond Gilead, which I think was a great move on his part. But uh, Austin... You were an original fan of these, as they were originally called, Down Gilead Lane. Is this jarring for you at all? It is. Like, it was a, it was a bit weird at one point. I saw, like, on the Shop CBH Keys for Kids website, and I saw that, like, wait, what is this? It was, like, I think for a brief moment, I thought maybe, did they have, like, new shows or something like that? And I looked at it, like, wait, this is the same seasons. It just has different, like, a different name to it or whatever. And for a long time, I just... Kind of wondered, like, okay, that's kind of odd, but it's still the same, basically. And then when I, I saw some, of the, and when I saw some of the stuff people were talking about in the Facebook group, I learned more about it. Like, okay, I can, I can see that, I understand it. I still consider it Dungley Lane, and I'll try not to call it Dungley Lane. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's still the same series. It's not a spinoff series. If it was a spinoff series, I think the total name change like that, like the only thing that's the same is Gilead. But mm-hmm. it's still continuing from everything from that point. So I still consider it to be that. But I know for marketing and copyright and all that stuff, I understand it. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, it's still all the same. Well, I've had a huge change of heart as it's come to this over the months that I've been doing this podcast. And originally when I started and I found out about the split and what happened before Ryan and I interviewed Beth, I was on your side as well. I was thinking, well, I'll just call this Down Gilead Lane because that's what it is to me. But after talking with Beth and after looking at everything that happened behind the scenes and adoring her episodes in seasons five and six, I see this as a spinoff. I see everything that's not written by her as a spinoff of Down Gilead Lane because it's not Down Gilead Lane. I think it was false from the beginning that it ever was Down Gilead Lane because unlike Adventures in Odyssey, 
down Gilead Lane is exclusively Beth. Odyssey is a whole team behind it, and it's always been that team, and the writers have always been clear to say, like, we're working with a team here. But Beth has always had the freedom, or she always had the the freedom to do whatever she wanted with the series, and she was a great steward of that series and of that freedom. And so and she's I the would, one who pitched it in the first place. Yep, and she's the one who had all the characters in her head. She was she's the best audio drama writer I I know. And I would I would hate to ta- I would hate to take that from her. And I I completely understand where you're coming from, Austin. And and again, I I know that original fans of the series would be like, "No, this is Down Gilead Lane." Because Down Gilead Lane is more uh for you guys, it's more than just Beth. But for me, I'm in a very unique perspective in that I want it to stay with Beth. So that's why I'm, that's why I will be calling it down Gilead. Oh, that's why I will be calling it beyond Gilead. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Nope. That's not what I meant. That's why I will be calling it down. No, I said it again. I'm just going (laughs) to surrender the microphone over to Ryan and Austin. You all know what I'm going to say. We get it. You, you want to call it down. I mean, down beyond beyond Gilead lane, beyond down lane. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, We've gone this far. Let me just give the summary for this episode, then we can start to talk about it. How about that? Sounds good. All right. A Little Town of Coleraine by Laurie Twitchell. It's another Christmas in the Morrison household, and the family gathers together to celebrate, but not the Morrisons we know. And that's a summary that I think can give as few spoilers about this episode as possible, because Laurie Twitchell picks up this episode from the very start with a flash forward, is what this is. And... After hearing W. Mark Whitlock's episodes in order as they were released on the radio, I like this one a lot more. <laughs> I, I definitely still, a lot more than I originally Something liked it. Something to cleanse well, I mean, the palate there. It, yeah, that's what I had in my notes. It's a it's a palate cleanser. <laughs> Let me see if I can put some numbers to this. If Pick Your Battles is a ten out of ten, and Blessed Are They is a nine out of ten, and Ruben Get Your Gun is a two out of ten. This is a 5 out of 10. It's still a 5 versus 9, which was a big jump when I originally heard this. The stock episode is a 1 out of 10, but that's besides the point. So, <laughs> Wait, wi- this is worse. The sock episode is worse than Ruben Get Your Gun? We'll talk about it. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, this is all relative at this point because I haven't heard the sock episode in half a year or a full year even. Yeah, and I haven't heard your part two review of Ruben Get Your Gun yet, and I haven't heard your future review of the sock episode, so yeah, I'm clueless here. We're, and you haven't heard our future past review of Red Rock Mysteries yet either. Everything is super timey-wimey. Anyway... I'm ready to talk about this episode. What's going on here, guys? Lori Twitchell's here, which is, Lori, I love Lori so much. I am assuming that she's listening to this and captivated by every word we say. But I, <laughs> so this is why I say this with the utmost love for you, Lori. I don't know how much I like this episode. Well, first off, let's give a round of applause to Lori for this being the first episode we're going to review. It's, it's, it's the start of a new era. Hi, Lori. Clap, 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 clap. Because my claps won't show up on Discord. Finger snaps. <laughs> Those were even worse. Yeah, well, Lori Twitchell and John Fornoff were hired as writers on the show, and Lori was the first to actually get an episode. This takes place, apparently, in year four. I don't care about the timeline anymore because we're, we're past down Gilead Lane, but this very, very clearly contradicts stuff also written by Lori Twitchell in the very next season. So it's whatever at this point. <laughs> Wait, what's it contradict? That Brooke is there at Christmas. I don't think she's actually there at Christmas. Well, what if it's the prior year? It's It can't be, because Maybe Brooke she... is going off to college the next year. Okay. Yeah, I wondered about that. Because yep. I know, like, this... Like, I'm not sure how much this episode was done with a look at the next season. Like, it's interesting they started with a special right after the season. Because, like, both me and Ryan... Both Ryan and I thought that this is a palate cleanser. It basically... All the stuff people didn't like about those lost episodes is changed. We get our focus shifted in a future focus or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not quite sure how to uh, describe that. So we kind of forget, like, I, I'm just saying now, because now I've heard the lost episodes. I didn't hear them when they first aired. Mm-hmm. But it is a great way of just okay. washing that away. It's wholesome. It's Christmas. And, you know, it's. I think it's just a beautiful story and yeah it's a lot of the same actors that we know before 
I mean, here the Morrison family, which we didn't hear a lot of them very much in the lost episodes. And it's a great way to bring us in like, wait, what? It jumped to the future? Mm-hmm. But it's still it's still a cool concept, I think. And I have I'll have more thoughts about that later. But I'm interested what Ryan thinks about this. Yeah. Yeah. When I first um when I first heard it, it was very much a bit of a fever dream. And it didn't help that I was like, I think we were at the point of binging through the episodes so fast by that point, just just because <laughs> I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and I di- we didn't listen to the lost episodes like in order on that first listen through. And so I was coming right off of season six. six. Wait, no, no, we didn't listen to the specials no, until we yeah. finished everything. So, so you yeah, would have been coming off finished, of Heart like, and Soldier. Yeah, I would have been coming off of like season 12 or something. And so I listened to this and I ga- I was given the, like Hannah sort of said, this is kind of a weird episode. And so I listened to it and I was like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. Because just imagine listening to this after you've heard the end of the whole series. And all yeah. of the just plays doesn't... that the characters are taken later on in the series. Right, right. No and spoilers. it's just like, this, this, is, I thought, I thought this person did this. I thought that person did that. What is going on? And then find out, oh, okay, that's the ending. And so the first time I listened to it, I was kind of like, okay. Okay, whatever. <laughs> this time I was able to listen to it in its proper context and sort of be like, okay, if I were coming to this episode from this point in the series, not knowing what happens later, it's a bit better, and I don't hate it. Like, I, I actually do like a lot of the scenes in this. Like, it paints a pretty neat fo- uh, a pretty neat picture, although the whole uh, hollow... It was all, what what oh, was n- it? Yeah, no, Hol- no. How about we just say that's dumb and move on from that? It, are, are you going to censor me from just talking about the episode, oh, Michael? Come on. I'm sorry. No, go for it. We're getting those now. I thought you were going to rant about it. <laughs> we're living in the future. Come on, man. What, are, well, what was it? <laughs> come it on, was... man. Yeah, hollow projectors or something like that. Holograms. I resisted. <laughs> what, was it called hollow projectors? It was. So she they says, call them holograms or hollows. Holograms, well, they call them holograms and then hollows later on. I was just amused by how that has not aged very well because the time period they're setting it in is where we're at right now. Yes. So and we're getting holograms. No holograms. We're not, are we? Like, I don't understand why you would call anything a hologram when we don't. Even back in like, you, I don't know, two thousand four or whatever, this was released. When was this? Two thousand five would have been Christmas. Two thousand five. I was close. I was so close. Back then, telegrams were barely even a thing. <laughs> the app? What? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. So, it, but I find it just amusing. Like it, it feels like when you watch Back to the Future, and you're like, "Yep, that didn't happen. That didn't In happen." Twenty fifteen. Kind of happened. <laughs> it's also cool having talked with Lori, uh, Lori Heckman. And hearing what her voice sounds like now. And I'm thinking, what if she went back and re-recorded her lines as Brooke? That would be great. Oh, that would be fun. I could get her to do that. I don't know if Keys for Kids would like me very much, but I could do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but overall, like, I liked the episode's scenes so far as like just the general dialogue. Like, people catching up with each other, having what I would consider pretty genuine conversations with each other. It's one thing that, like, it's a bit different from how Beth Culp writes. Not that Beth Culp doesn't write genuine dialogue, but that her focus is always theme slash lesson. There's a specific issue to deal with. Right, bringing the characters through a particular issue. That's not what the writing in this episode is about. Because most of it, like, basically one one character's set of scenes is about the actual issue and it all kind of comes to the uh together at the end but everybody else is just uh what i would call kind of like fan service towards the future kind of dialogue conversation so it's like we're going to take each of these discussions that the characters are having and use it to plant seeds of information about what the future is for the characters you know and love in Coleraine today which i don't hate as a concept as a concept, and I also don't technically hate it in practice either. Like listen, listening to it, there's it several either. scenes I really enjoy, like with John reading the Bible to the kids and and being like, "In the beginning, oh, oh, sorry, it's a it's a little bit further back." <laughs> no, that's great. I thought that that's was awesome. hilarious. That was really funny. 
And it just shows how, even though Mm -hmm. the writing may change, the actors are still the same, and Roger Mueller is still a genius. Yes. Yeah. If I take it scene by scene, I don't hate it. As an episode itself, it's not exactly like, wow, this this theme blew me away, and it was just like so well-constructed story, like like from a premise of like story structure, I don't feel like it is amazing. It it tells sort of a it tells one story of what's going on with Justin and Timothy and it all kind of comes together there. But then everything else it's just kind of like, hey, you want to just listen into a family hanging out? And I don't hate that, but it's also like you know, you know, there's a difference between I listen to a ha- a family hanging out for 15 minutes and I listen to a family hanging out for 15 minutes and all the characters learn something or it had theological or moral implications. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I kind of disagree with it a little bit, though. Okay. So when I was listening to this episode in preparation for this review, I was thinking this episode actually works quite well as being a standalone Christmas special. And also as a kind of a love letter to the fans of Down Goya Lane. Sure. And I did catch that, yeah. I think I think you can listen to this without knowing the past. The only only problem is, you know, the ending with it being a dream. This episode, I think the story works very well, like the best Christmas on record. It works very well <laughs> without like anybody the knowing the, the best Christmas past. on record. That's my thing. Look at that. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's okay so yeah i think it stands alone very well on its own as being a great story yeah we get some long conversations in the extended version the radio version it's a little probably a little more compact probably a little bit easier to listen to as a uh, casual fan or a first-time listener but i think you have great setup where we have you know these characters we hear brooke and becca talking and catching up and you know, we hear the first mention about Justin and Emily. That's the first seed that's planted for the story. That's near the very beginning. I don't see this as being not a cohesive plot. There's there's basically like the main story, which is Justin and Emily. We have Tim trying to get there that converges. And then you have like the outer stuff, which is like the regular family stuff happening. And underneath all that is these two stories happening. They don't know these things are happening and then it comes together. Like I don't think it's I don't think it's disjointed at all really. Like it's it's different than past Christmas episodes of DGL. So, I think it's there's a lot of moving parts to it, but I think it's handled very well. It could be a real mess if it wasn't if this was written by somebody that didn't know how to do writing very well or writing for audio drama, but being the first episode that Lori Twitchell did it's a great episode. I still I still think this is the best Christmas episode of the whole series. I'll die on that hill. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. yeah, I'll, I'll just end there. Okay, yeah, now. because I had the exact opposite feeling. I still don't know how I think of Laurie Twitchell's writing because this episode turned me off so, so much when I first heard it. And so then from then on, every episode written by Laurie Twitchell, I could tell it was by Laurie because there were some of the same things I felt in this episode that kind of stayed until the very end of the series with Laurie. I don't know if Laurie's ever written an episode that I would classify as a five out of five. And I, which is a little sad for me because every single episode in season five and six with Beth Culp is five out of five, but I'm more than willing to have that opinion challenged and I'll explain a little bit here. So Austin, let me ask you this question. If this works as a standalone episode and you haven't heard the rest of Gilead, why do you care about these characters? Because it's Christmas. Yeah, that's <laughs> my my point exactly, sir. The main issue that I have here is that the, the beautiful innocence of that answer. Because this Christmas. isn't this, Thank this you. is. I also say this is an innocent episode compared to previous ones where characters almost got shot and seduced. This is fine. <laughs> this is okay. It's nice. It's it's calming to listen to, and I love the atmosphere of it. But because there's a jump to the future. And we're getting all this exposition from Brooke and Becca, actually, in the beginning about, hey, everyone's here now. And, oh, uh, Justin's kind of falling away from the faith. He's not talking about God anymore. He's not really talking to us. And all of that. Like, the main conflict hinges on Justin. But then we see scenes with Justin where he's defending the faith to his wife. That doesn't really work well, in my opinion, for credibility. 
Because if the credibility is being set up of this episode that we don't know the rules of the future, but one of the rules is that this is how Justin acts now, that's not proven by the way that he actually acts. And I think there's a lot that's explained here, including the final moment where Tim arrives with the blanket that would have been really, really good if we'd actually seen that. But because Emily also goes the whole episode saying, life is science, Justin, and science is life. And she also says, there's nothing that can't be explained by facts and logic. Emily destroys Justin with facts and logic. No, (laughs) because Emily goes the whole episode saying that and then has a baby and is still on that. And then we don't see her emotional response to the blanket. We hear secondhand. I feel like there's a lot with the credibility of the plot of this episode that was left out for some strange reason. Okay, so I had a little bit of pushback on that. So <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> because Emily is pushing back at Justin because it's not normal for him to talk like this. And on the flip side, she's not acting normal because she's feeling a little bit sentimental and having feelings that she can't explain herself. We have heard said, you know, Justin's like this. You know, we see this like, oh, so he is changing back, sounds like. And it's causing friction with his wife and you have that friction. And then it comes kind of comes to a head. Both of them kind of soften to a certain extent. He backs off a little bit, not quite as strong as he was. And then she kind of softens a little bit too after having a baby. And then we hear it. Yeah, we do hear what happens off mic, which I'm totally fine with that. I'm okay with not hearing that scene because hearing, you know, Tim and Justin surprising their parents and just, the acting, I think the dialogue in that last scene is really great. And the pauses, just the delivery in those lines, I think it works. I don't, for me, I don't need to hear that scene of her her breaking down crying and asking Jesus to save her. Because I know I know in audio drama you want to show, don't tell. But I think this is a good example of where you can tell and not show. Well, why don't we go ahead and listen to that scene since that's the clip of the day. Okay. My blankie. Oh. You've got to be kidding me. Yep. Haley stuck it in my bag when I went away to officer training school. She said something about taking a little piece of home with me. Now, you know all you kids used that blanket when you were newborns. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim, you just kept it longest. I know. Yeah. It's the baby. <laughs> I've been home hundreds of times before now, and never once did it cross my mind to bring it home with me, but this time it just, I don't know. It was God's timing, right? Yeah, when I told Emily about the blanket and that Tim didn't even know why he had brought it, it, well, it broke down a wall. That last line there from Justin, I really like. It broke down a wall. There's these tiny little things that God's sending towards Emily that she does not understand, that she can't explain. And sometimes the very smallest things work God's plan a lot more than the big stuff that we expect to happen. I know it's maybe kind of a cliche, but, mm-hmm. you know, a small stone took down Goliath. <laughs> and this small little thing about God nudging Tim to bring his blanket with him is basically like the catalyst or like the last of the small things that gets Emily to break down and finally see that God does love me. God does exist. And I just love that, that it's just a small little thing, a small little thing that kids use. And like the Bible says, you know, God uses the simple things to bring down the proud or something like that. I can't remember the verse exactly, but it's God works in very simple ways. In some cases, we sometimes he does really complex things that we don't see until years later. But small things like that, I know I may get in trouble with you, Michael, but <laughs> I do like how Phil Lawler talks about this, that the small things like a lot of his episodes and his stories now are about the small things like the toy and i think okay, more the recent toy is episode, fine the uh, toy is pre-revelation so we're good <laughs> well you haven't i don't think you've heard showdown in san poco yet either and that's no, a really good episode no, i haven't heard that yet. and that also deals with something very small having a big impact and i like that because you know the little things really do make the difference people overlook them but god uses them in a big way and i love how this episode brings that across hmm this is an interesting case study. If, if you guys are listening to this review, uh, can pick up on this. Um, I am very lukewarm toward this, so I'm talking about how I had problems with the actual episode. Austin loves the episode, so he's talking about how it affects his life. This is very clearly like the, the review uh, worldviews that we've talked about before. So first off, yeah, thanks, thanks Austin for being a good 
uh, voice of reason on this. I do appreciate that. But I'll also try, I'll also ask this question: Where have we seen this nudge from God before on Gilead? Um, I got to think about that. We haven't. I. That's the thing. What do you mean? Just like a small nudge, like oh, you might want to do this. Well, this. It's not only that. This happens like six times. We've got Brooke praying for Justin and Emily, Mary praying for Justin and Emily, Tim bringing the blanket, Justin, all of us, like, we haven't seen how he's fallen away, but him turning back, Emily thinking that it's just whatever in labor, whatever the uh, the hormones, whatever that is. So that's five things. Those are five different cases of nudges from God. And... I am happy to talk about real life examples of this, but this is fiction after all. And so when you use a rhetorical device like that or something in fiction to bring people together because of the plot and to cause character development to happen because God is nudging someone, I'm instantly a bit skeptical because that is the main driver of this plot that God caused it to happen and God put everyone in, in in the right place for this and it's kind of literally ex machina yeah this is exactly deus ex machina now is it bad i don't know i think for me i have a hard time believing i have a hard time seeing the character change i would be okay i i'd really be this is why i really wanted to see emily scene i would be more than okay to see like in um unfinished business later on there is a there are moments where god is intervening in the life of Tom Richter in a way that I love because we see it directly from his point of view and it's powerful. Here, this would be like if we were in Eugene's salvation in Darkness Before Dawn and he goes into the imagination station and then you've got Connie and Jack who are talking about like, whoa, what do you think is going to happen? And then later we're at Jack's house and Jack is talking about how Eugene accepted Christ. That wouldn't be nearly as powerful as actually <laughs> seeing the scene, right? Well, Emily's a one-time character. Eugene's been on the show, was on the show for several years at that point. Where if you had, if that happened, yeah, you would feel cheated quite a bit because you've invested so much into this character for several years. With this, it's only about twenty-some minutes or so. I'm gonna be honest. I don't care about new Justin and new Timmy because they're completely different characters from who I know, and they have no arc in this episode. I mean, maybe Justin has a little bit of an arc, but we didn't even see his low point. We've seen him at the same point the whole time, except maybe yeah. a little bit of like, I, hey, I, I don't know. Maybe faith exists. Oh, yeah, faith definitely exists. Whereas with Emily, we've seen, no, you can explain everything with science. Everything, it, it can be explained. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I couldn't explain this one. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I, I have faith now. That's not a terrible storyline, but I think it could have been so much better had we tweaked yeah. a little bit of it. And granted, again... It's no Ruben, get your gun. So I'm very happy to have heard this episode today. I do agree. I think I would have appreciated a version more where I got to actually hear Emily's conversion there. Because if we're going to have so many scenes of her explaining that she's very logic based, then it's going to be very difficult to write a compelling result where there's a scene where she breaks down and that all falls away. But being able to see that scene will be way more powerful than being told about it after the fact. Mm -hmm. um, though, I think my critique of the episode, actually, it kind of doesn't matter in my mind whether, like, whether we see Emily do it or whether we see Justin do it because the reality of the episode is that none of it's real. It's exactly. A, it's a dream in the end. And so whether... I, I find myself not caring whether this fictional dream person got saved because we won't be meeting dream Emily in heaven any day soon. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I honestly don't think Timmy actually dreamed this. Is there any way that he could come up with this coherent a plot in his head while he's dreaming? I mean, it does and make also, sense. He has no concept of how <laughs> crazy pregnancy actually is. yeah. I have so much to talk about. Welcome to this extended <laughs> review, by the way. Um, just realizing this is extended here. But my thing is that at the end, Timmy's asleep on the couch. He wakes up and talks about his dream. And then John and Mary go, oh, you were thinking about how Brooke is going to be gone next year, right? Oh, this is her last Christmas with us. Why didn't he dream about Brooke going through something then? Why was it Justin? That doesn't really add up. And it makes me think that the it was all a dream was just tacked onto the end last minute and Lori, if you're listening 
was it? Because <laughs> I actually want to know this. Okay, so... Okay, so just real quick about the conversion scene. We have heard a conversion scene kind of with with Maya in season two, Mm -hmm. with Caleb in season six. So I'm glad not each one of those conversion scenes are the exact same one because after a while it may seem kind of the same or harder to make it sound different. So not hearing it at all, I think, gives it a little more uniqueness to it that we've not Uh. seen and past episodes. Uh, yeah, okay. And the other thing is, too, I know, I think there could have been more focus on Brooke since John talks about how, oh, he was thinking about this and that's what led to his dream. I think that is probably the probably the only thing that really I don't think works in this episode. But what does work, and what should have worked if they just changed that line about that, because I love the ending of this episode when Justin asked, like, what did I do to me? And he said, you came home. Yeah, that's good. And that actually ties into his relationship with his brother. We, we saw that in Justin time. He was wanting to spend time with his brother mm, so much. Yeah. And Justin was so busy with stuff. And I mean, he finally got, got to his senses and spent time with him. But also, maybe Timmy's having that kind of thinking, well, maybe when he grows up, maybe he'll be like that. Maybe he won't be a Christian anymore. And he has all these fears on that. And then... That's what impacted them most. Like the the Brooke thing, yeah, like yeah, that's not quite the catalyst, I think, for it. It sounds like it's more of the Justin thing. And I know Justin doesn't go to college for a while, but I think if they just a little bit of tweaking with that, I think would have been really good since we had the episode with Justin and Timmy back in Justin time. I think it's great. And really, if any of the Morrison kids would be the lost one, I think it would be Justin. Hmm. Yeah, that that does work. I I like that and I'm glad that Timmy was able to be impacted by the fact that Justin came home. Again, I wasn't because it was revealed that Justin was coming home in scene four. So it was never in question whether he would come home or not. Well, it could also mean home in another sense as well. But as in coming back to Christ. But he never fell away from Christ. As far as we knew, he he believed in Christ the whole time because his first line about like faith is there's more to life than just science. So like I know we've already kind of talked about this, but still, I don't believe Brooke when she says that Justin is straying away from the faith because he never demonstrates it. He's always defending the faith. So, yeah. Anyway, you want to talk about other stuff in this episode? Yeah. All right. There's a uh, a Luke parallel that I legitimately don't know how I feel about either. Yeah. And they wrap it in a swaddling cloth, sort of. And a baby blanket. And uh, a visitor comes... Uh, Who's named the- Chris Shepard? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, I have Chris, my notes. Here. That moment a- went though. It's weird. Uh, the 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 uh, parallel it goes even further because uh, you know that part in the Bible where Jesus uh, is uh, brought to Pilate. <laughs> well, there's a Pilate in this episode. <laughs> no, anyway. Um, stretching it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's what we do on this. Uh, it's, it's subtle. It's I subtle it, though. Yeah, and I I don't you mind. You mean it's it. shuttle because it, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's really bad. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> yeah, Ryan. Ryan gets the puns around here. Come on. Yeah, sorry. Hey, I, I, I'm, I really I'm learning. That. I'm uh, learning pun rating how to make for fly. our review. Ten out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Pun uh, rating actually, for the episode. For the episode, it's actually like oh, also, a six. We didn't I'd rate say. the lost episodes. Yeah, so they don't deserve well. it. No. No. Okay. <laughs> this one a six. You said. Uh, yeah, I think I put it at a six. It's it's uh it's a take. It's like a parody of a song. Especially since we like with us getting the like it wouldn't make sense if there wasn't really a parallel to the the Christmas story at all. But yeah. because there is a parallel to the Bethlehem story, it makes. And six out of ten. Okay. So I know you brought out the reference like of like Luke two here. There is a little bit of a reference only with Justin saying, "Oh, at least it's not a stable." And then Emily kind of jo- brushes it off. I know. I think. I think it was you, Michael, that mainly had this complaint mm-hmm. with uh, the best Christmas on record that yep. they call out so much about it being like that, ep- like that story of uh, gifts of the Magi. I didn't yeah. say Magic Guy. Yay. <laughs> Um, anyway, and also we had the first Christmas, (laughs) the first Christmas episode was basically a retelling of the story of Jesus' birth. With this, it's a lot more subtle. Uh, It's not the whole story 
like I know that Best Christmas on Record is mainly like the first two thirds of the beginning are about the same. The last third of it is quite a bit different and differs from the story or adds more to that original story. With this, I like the subtlety of it and it's there. It's a blinking you miss it kind of thing. If you want to look deeper, yeah, you'll get it. But that's why I think this episode, the story itself, is a lot more original than the last two Christmas specials that we've gotten. I really don't think so. I think that the the only conflict that we have in this episode is the Justin and Emily thing. So that's naturally what I'm drawn to. I'm thinking, what's going to happen to them? And Tim is trying to make it back, but there's not really any obstacles that he has to overcome. Everything pretty much opens up for him. So it's just a matter of time. With Justin and Emily, they are actively trying to find shelter because she's about to give birth and it's stressful. And then they're stuck here in the rest stop. What's going to happen? And then it, the problem gets solved. So there's still not a ton of conflict there. But in the main plot of the episode, I think it's extremely obvious that there are no there's again, there's no room at the motel. So the baby is born in the off brand or like the place, not off brand hotel, rest stops, <laughs> rest stops and off brand hotel. hotel. Put that on the Timmy T-shirt. Or when you don't have enough money and no room. Yeah, so I very clearly picked up that this was a parallel, and Justin saying it was just further confirmation that that was what the parallel was. I'm pretty sure, I mean, at least to me it was obvious. Maybe to the listeners. If if you didn't find it obvious, send us a voice message saying you didn't find it obvious. But for this one, I I much prefer... Mary from Mary with love, even though that's still not my favorite Christmas Christmas episode because of some directing things here and there. I really liked it because it was very clearly this is a retelling of the Christmas story, but from Beth Culp's super specific dealing with this issue that Mary has in this question. And I think she did it beautifully in that episode. Whereas in this one, I think Laurie's throwing stuff together with an incoherent theme that eventually becomes change and possibly an allegory for beyond Gilead that really turns me off. And I don't know what feelings I'm supposed to get from the parallel is the sort of thing. It's just like you can parallels. Does what were you saying about Ruben, get your gun? Yeah. I said parallels do not an allegory make, but then I think you changed it to like parallels do not a, there was a different word you used than allegory. Parallels. do. I I don't even remember what I said. Supposal. I don't know if I'm even done uh, editing that specific review, but right. yeah. But but essentially, yeah, w- what we were talking about in that, because uh, Ruben Get Your Gun is supposed to be a take on uh, Ruben Joseph. from Joseph. Like, that's why he's named that in the story. Mm-hmm. And we, what we were talking about in that review was how in the story of Joseph... Ruben doesn't really learn a lesson. Ruben's not even really like a focused character. The point of the whole story of Joseph is not that bad things happen to him. The point of the story is that bad things happen to him. And then God turned all of those things into a way to save the entire family from starvation. So the lesson is God is good and he has a plan that is big, is part of the big picture compared to our limited understanding. Mm-hmm. And that's fine if you want to reference that story and you want to make a parallel. But I, the problem is that in W. Mark Whitlock's writing, when he makes that parallel, he references Reuben and he has a character named Reuben and he references a situation where one character saves another character from a thing like Reuben did with Joseph, but there's no payoff of the same lesson. And so he's he's mirroring the things that happen in the story without mirroring the theme. So what I ended up saying was a parallel, essentially a parallel is not, or no, no, no. A reference is not a parallel. That's what I said, I think. Right. Or that's what I'm saying now. And <laughs> are I'd you say, also saying I'd that say, about this episode? Yeah, I think I, I, well, I don't know. Like this episode's closer, but even so like the story of, uh, like the story told in the Gospel of Luke of Jesus being born, I'd say the theme of that, really, there, there's not a huge theme in the first place because really it's it's just a fulfillment of, it's an example of a fulfilling of prophecy. So all the things that go into how Jesus was born uh, either fulfill a prophecy of him being uh, born in Bethlehem and coming to earth modest, all those things are either a fulfilling of prophecy or 
it is also just showing some aspect of the character of God um, and sort of Mm -hmm. how like in that he's not coming to earth in a I'm going to judge you all kind of way and he's not coming in a look at me I'm God and you should all worship me kind of way he's coming humbly as a servant to wash away the sins of many and so we see that in many ways like in the fact that he wasn't born in a palace and they all thought he was going to be born in a palace and he was born in a stable instead so there's a lot of themes there but it all goes back to God and the person of or like sort of the character of who he is to mirror that and have a character who is not God and is not bearing uh, the son of God in a truck stop. It mirrors it. It, it. It's like, look at this. This thing happened in the Bible, but I'm not seeing a parallel theme. And maybe I'm wrong. Austin, you really like this episode. Can you, do you, <laughs> think, do you think there's a parallel that? theme? I I was wondering like what you all thought what the theme was, but to me, it I don't see a theme, but I don't think it needs a theme. And if you're going with the parallel, like uh... if this is exactly like the story of Luke, there's no theme overall. But I think probably the one part I think I'll pick out of this story as being like the gem, like the central theme. John talks about at the end that now we have a grandson that shares his birthday talking about Jesus. A reminder of God's grace because we see this baby happening the events surrounding it a baby is a miracle God God gave that baby and God did so much surrounding that baby as well yeah I've got an idea as far as the theme goes can I give this a shot yeah, okay go ahead. I would say I, I do I still think that the last scene is tacked on and not necessarily coherent with the rest of the episode but if I were to find a theme that picked that stood for both of them, I would agree with that, Austin. God's grace, because God's grace throughout the story was bringing all of them together despite the circumstances. And at the end, God's grace is providing a constant in the midst of change. That's a very general theme, but I think it works for both of them. Unfortunately, because it's general and because it works for both, it's not specific enough to elicit emotion from me. So that's that's my issue with the theme here. Sure. Well, I would sense. argue, too, that I don't think it needs a theme. I know past episodes have been like very theme-heavy in some cases, and I know sometimes you agree with it, sometimes, sometimes you didn't. But I think a good episode can happen without a central theme to it. There's some great little moments there, some really great acting. I, I love the music from John Campbell. John Campbell did an amazing job with the score for this episode. And I don't think it needs to have a central theme that all this goes around it's more of, okay, here's a snapshot of how the Morrisons could be in the future at Christmas time. And to mm. me, I, I find it beautiful. That This episode makes me makes me cry. I'll, I'll admit it. Well, this episode, pro- this episode, you know, it's very sentimental. Like, I, I'm more, I'm probably a little more sentimental than the two of you. But about this one, this episode just brings out, brings out the waterworks in me. Hey, I cried the second time I watched Top Gun Maverick. I cried stuff. <laughs> I am sentimental. <laughs> I don't think that, like, I think I agree a bit with Austin that you only have a limited amount of time in which you're also trying to tell the future backstory of every character on the show to sort of sprinkle in, like, what happens to those characters in the future as, like, a nod to the audience. So given what Lori Twitchell had to work with, I think that it's an all right job. It's not fantastic. Agreed. Like, I don't look at it and think, wow, what a fantastic story. I don't also think it's a terrible story. I just kind of, I can see that there's a bit more deus ex machina than I appreciate. All the characters Mm -hmm. are constantly talking about, like, I just have a nudge. I just have a nudge. And it sort of, like, I feel like in real life, we, we do have certain nudges, but we don't necessarily talk about them as such. Like, we're more casual about them. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's plenty in here that could have been more naturally worked into the dialogue, but and that's the difference between Laurie and John Fornoff that I think we can bring out, especially considering what the next episode is. But for now, I I'll I'll put a pin in that for I guess for Laurie's writing here, and we'll come back and talk about that later as far yeah. as my general critiques on Laurie. But yeah, you guys want to talk about the pairings for and the job. Positions for the different um, characters. Yes. No reference to anything that may or may not happen later on in the series because spoilers. But okay, Caleb and Brooke have four kids. D- Jordan, David, 
there's one more. Um, Shannon, and then I forget the fourth one's name. Michael and Anna Townsend have a child, and then Justin is with someone named Emily. Haley is in Africa, and Tim is single in the Air Force. That's it. And there's a guy at the airport yeah, played by so. Steve Odell. That's I like that. But anyway, so the only thing that seems the most off is Mike, like getting together with Anna and also having an accountant. Those things do not compute at all. <laughs> but I think the rest of the characters, I think it works. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that there and not explain any of my ums. Yeah, the accountant line is actually I think really bad because Caleb comes in. And it's all, it's this cool moment. And he says, oh yeah, Michael, we still have to kind of talk about the new accounting, like new accounting project you have or something like that. He says, oh yes, we've got this new account and you wouldn't believe what, I'm like, that's not how accountants talk. Hey, I'm an accountant. I have a new account. It may be all a joke. He's probably like, he's probably, it probably is kind of a joke. Like, oh yeah, like this big account kind of thing, huh? So you think Michael is pretending to bore Caleb with the minutia? I don't totally believe that, but yeah. I think it could work. Mm-hmm. I can't tell, honestly. Like, it's either a really weirdly scripted line or it's the latter. So that's why I assume it's the latter. Yeah, but anyway, what were the other pairings that you wanted to mention? Um, Caleb and Brooke, I actually kind of like that pairing. It's not too much out of the realm of possibility. I think Haley, yeah, people would think that she probably wouldn't be that, but I kind of see that as her finally getting to the point of being totally over, like, how she looks, and she's finally got to the point where she's fully focused on helping other people, and I kind of like that idea that she turns out that way. If only we could have seen that arc! Yeah, she's the only one we don't hear in this episode, so no no new actor for her. And Tim, yeah, I I guess that could work. I mean, he he finally gets to parachute now. (laughs) Oh, boy. That's a good callback. I like that. Back when Beth was young. And I don't think we hear Justin's... We hear, wait, is Justin and Emily like some kind of scientist or something? I can't remember. I think Brooke said something about that to Becca, maybe? I don't remember what they are, actually. That would make sense, and but it would just be a lot more on the nose. So for me, I really was disappointed. I can't remember when I first heard this episode. I'm not sure when, but I'm, I come off disappointed listening to the episode that it's just a dream. And yep. I know I have problems yep. with it, like with Push the Red Button on Odyssey. The thing is with that, it's so outrageous. You kind of have to tell it is a dream. Sure. I know, Michael, you and I reviewed A Pirate's Life from Paws and Tails, where that one turns out to be a dream. Yeah, but it sounds like you like you said, it sounds like it could have been real. Like it could have been a, a natural story. And it could have been with really this. good if it were real. Yeah. And like like um the present long ago does on Odyssey. Yeah. Out of the box episode yeah, good nails it in uh, at least that fashion because it's canon. Actually, a lot of people I hear don't like that episode. Strange. Okay, well, I mean, there are other reasons why you wouldn't like that episode, but as far as the look to the future, it's still the most current episode of Odyssey, like the one that takes place the the farthest ahead in the timeline because yeah. it's canon. <laughs> yeah, I, I come off the episode being disappointed that, oh, it's just a dream and I wish it was real, but yeah. that's all I'll say about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my general thoughts are I... After it being a dream, I had no more words. <laughs> My original listen through, I was like, you did all of that, and then you didn't even bother to make it real? But that's fine. I was okay to move on with modern day or back to the normal time Gilead after this. Right. And I think it also, the fact that the ending of Gilead is different from what this dream shows, I think cheapens it a little bit because... You could say from this episode, like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of emotional weight because this is a prophecy. And in that case, it does become a little bit more interesting. Like, if this is actually the future and not just like a alternate reality, probably never going to happen because it was a fever dream kind of future, then it sort of makes it like, well, why do we care? Why, Why did we spend the last 20 minutes on this? So yeah, I like yeah. I like this episode more if I can think of it as a prophecy and just sort of push off like the reality that it's not. And I I'm glad that you brought up uh push the red button because I I did actually <laughs> I should share this with you guys after we finished our listen through <laughs> I listened to it with Hannah I we finished our listen through and this time like I was able to focus on it more than the first time and like really listen to it properly in order and I finished it and I said. Still better than push the red button because, like, despite (laughs) 
it being like there, it has its issues. We talked about like the things that we think are good and bad about this episode. And I tend to agree kind of with both of you on the good and the bad. Despite all of that, I, I do still appreciate that it's at least a believable story because I cannot extend any patience for an episode that is clearly a dream. Unless it's a live show. Which works better as that. I mean, it does work better as a live show, maybe. Still, I would still appreciate because, yeah. an actual story to uh, in a live show than a fake one. All of that to say, I I think this is better <laughs> than that sort of thing. I, I enjoy it more. And, you know, even though at the end I might be like, oh, that was a dream. There's a part of me that's like, oh, that was a dream. Okay, good. I'm kind of glad it wasn't canon because there's some things that I'm like, oh, well, I don't know if that really makes much sense. But also it means that I can kind of not take it seriously. Like I can just kind of relax and not worry about it breaking canon or breaking traditional story writing necessity because anything that doesn't make sense can be written off as, well, that's how Timmy views it. And that doesn't make it like an amazing episode, but it also doesn't make it a terrible one because I can still enjoy many of the scenes. So that's where I, I kind of sit in the middle on this episode. Yep. And y'all know where I stand, so I don't have any final words. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate the actual dream part of the episode a lot more. Even though we had the ending, I still I still consider it as a good episode of the series. And I know it's not canon, but I still enjoy the story. And I every time I listen to it, I come off feeling really good about it. Well, on that note from Austin, how about we end this review? Sounds good. Okay. Well, wasn't expecting this to be an extended review. I don't know how much of that's going to make into the actual episode. Surprise! Guys, th- th- uh, thank you for giving me a long episode to edit. Merry Christmas, Michael. It's, uh, it's, well, it's okay. It's All of that was actually <laughs> just a dream. You don't have to edit a thing. We still because have I didn't to record. record anything. Well, when, where can people go to find uh, more information about this podcast, Austin? Well, you can go to the amazing, wonderful returntogilead.com. Yeah. And where can people go f- to find more information about Austin? Ryan? Google. The- <laughs> <laughs> anchor.fm slash odyssey geek <laughs> is where you can find austin's podcast called odyssey geek um we need to wrap this thing up here but austin you want to talk a little bit about that yeah so if you liked hearing about vision odyssey on this podcast episode go <laughs> listen to that michael's on that ryan's on that yeah. and recent guest host on the podcast there benjamin bethany burnett we talk about her what we think are the funniest episodes of odyssey so make sure to go listen to that well next time on the podcast we'll be Again, trying to start Beyond Gilead with episode 85, Whatever You Do. Till next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Michael. And I'm Austin. Thanks, guys. And we'll see you in the next episode as we once again return to Gilead. Gilead.